Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are going to jump into our Bible study this morning. Let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, as always, we do want to highlight the importance and the significance of God's Word. So uh, that's a big part of what we do here, studying the Bible together, chapter and verse. Uh, so I encourage you to bring your Bibles. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We do want you to be able to follow along. And we'd like to gift you a Bible if you don't own and have a Bible. So you can keep that Bible. But I would encourage you and challenge you then to bring that Bible back with you the following week and open it. I love to hear the pages turning. I know God does a powerful work as we study his word. The change and transformation in our lives is not going to be is not going to come from my clever outline or things that I say. It's going to come from the power of the gospel being preached through his word. And so as we get our hearts into God's word, we've also provided um, uh, sermon notes for you. And they're on the tables as you walk in. They're also in the bookstore. And uh, those have places where you can fill in the blanks and, and uh, follow along. Some of it's going to be up on the, on the screen. Uh, but not all of it, and uh, the sermon notes really give uh, an outline for the context of what is being taught in the scriptures. It highlights certain specific words um, and gives us some application and next steps, how to apply that in our lives. So I encourage you guys to grab those if you didn't remember this week. You can uh, remember next week as we come into our study. But we are in the uh, middle of a study through the book of 1 Peter that we've been focusing on this firm foundation. I love the songs that the Holy Spirit gave our leadership team for uh, worship this morning. He's a firm foundation. He's the cornerstone building our lives upon the foundation of Christ in the salvation that Jesus has secured for us. Through the power of the resurrection is the first kind of point back in chapter one that Peter described for us. He gives us this just beautiful uh, presentation of the gospel through the resurrection of Jesus and the power that we have to stand upon that in our lives. We also are looking at a firm foundation uh, in our faith. We've talked a little bit, we will a little bit more in next week about suffering and trial and Peter told us that Uh, We can have exceedingly great joy when we go through times of suffering because there's a a genuineness of faith that is being produced in our lives, that God is doing a spiritual work in our lives as we go through trials. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we uh, get further into 1 Peter. But um, today uh, we are kind of uh, coming off of our conversation last week where Peter was talking about the importance and the significance of the church, about God's chosen people. The church isn't the building, it's not the location, it's not a denomination, it's not an organization, it's the people of God. And as the people of God, we can grow in, first thing we looked at was God's word, how God's word nourishes um, our souls and strengthens us. And because of that, then we gather together for worship and celebrate 
Jesus, who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I love the, the analogy and the picture of the transformation that takes place. And if you have a transformation story of God taking you out of the pit and putting you into the palace, then we should celebrate that and worship Jesus just full-hearted and full-throated because of his grace and goodness in our lives. And uh, when our lives are aligned with God's word and we are modeling that um, as the church, Peter said that we're a holy, uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people to God. So we talked about how every single member of the body of Christ is an individual minister for the Lord. We all have a calling and all have gifts and all have abilities to be able to be his representative, to witness of our faith in Jesus to a world that is lost. And as we gather for worship, we also scatter for witness. And as we scatter from this place, we go into our different work and school and neighborhood and just life, then our lives are a representation of Jesus to other people. And it is attractive to a lost world. It it draws people to Jesus. Now, Peter goes on to talk about, as we pick up our study in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, it's a continuation of the conversation that he has previously about the honorable conduct that we have. And he says in verse 1, if you guys are all there, 1 Peter chapter 2, excuse me, verse 13, he says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to kings as supreme. So we see the transition, therefore. What he said before in the previous verse, I would suggest even in verse 12, he says that our conduct, when it is aligned with God's word and witnessing for the Lord, then it is honorable and it draws people to, um, to glorify God. And, the, and then Peter is going to go on to talk about four ways that our conduct can glorify God. And so the point that we want to remember today as we read through and study these verses is that submission, we're looking at this word submission because it's mentioned multiple times in these verses. And submission really has the idea of surrender, uh, surrender to to the Lord. And so submission uh, presented to us in these verses is God's will for our public as well as private lives. So we're going to be looking at this theme and we're going to see it in four different ways, as I mentioned. One is submission to governing authorities. Secondly is uh, submitting um, our lives in our career and work to uh, superiors. Third is uh, submission in our marriage relationships as husbands and as wives. And then lastly, submission and mutual respect and unity in our relationships with one another in the church. So he says in verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance. The word ordinance uh, means laws and rules and regulations, but it's for the Lord's sake. And one of the things that uh, is very important in understanding this concept of submission in our public and private lives is identifying and understanding Jesus's example. So I I'd love to see in, in verse 21 through verse 25, it speaks of that example and Jesus' submission or surrender or yielding to the will of his heavenly Father. And so uh, this is quite radical for Peter to say because as uh, you may know in the context of Peter's writing and what was happening in the church during this time, 
for these Christians living in a region and an area that had an emperor named Nero who was a brutal dictator who was slaughtering Christians and who was uh, abusing Christians and who was accusing Christians for all of uh, the problems that were happening in society, for Peter to say, submit yourselves to every ordinance of men was quite radical. And uh, what's interesting also, if you go back to Acts chapter 4, do you remember when the church was birthed and the Holy Spirit was poured out? And they were told, the early Christians were told that they couldn't preach and teach in Jesus' name. So they got together in a prayer meeting. And as they were praying, the doorposts of the house was shaken and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit with boldness to preach and to proclaim. But Peter and John, same guy, Peter, they were brought into the, they were arrested because they are preaching in Jesus' name. And they are brought in and they were beaten and the authorities said, you can't preach in Jesus' name. And Peter responds, he says, well, whether it is to obey God or to man, you be the judge, but let it be known this very moment, we're gonna obey God. And so what's fascinating about these two aspects is that Peter is encouraging submission to governing authorities, but there's a caveat in the sense that when those governing authorities, ordinances, rules, and laws are in direct contradiction to the word of God, we have an obligation to stand upon the truth of God's word when it comes to our citizenship in heaven. Now, that's not to throw out the importance and the significance of the governing authorities because Peter goes on to say in verse 14, not only to kings or to rules or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So if you go back, you can write this in the side of your notes, Romans 13, Paul makes this same argument and encourages the Christians to submit to those uh, governing authorities because they are instituted and appointed by God as the word is used, ministers of God. And so God uses, he can use evil dictators for his purpose. In fact, when we went through our study in the book of Daniel, we saw that God used King Cyrus to bring about his future fulfillment and plan by the reinstitution and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So God can use evil people to bring about his purpose and his plan, or let's just say not even evil people, just pagan people, non-believers. People who are trying to do a good work but don't know Jesus or surrender to him. And so we're, we're told in Scripture that authorities and governing authorities are instituted by God and appointed in order to fulfill his purpose and his plan. And it is to bring and maintain order. You see that? For the punishment of evil, but also for the praise of those who do good. So when you do good, okay, great, you're a good citizen. And when you do bad, when you break the law, when you break the rules, well, there are consequences. Notice what Peter says in verse 15. For this is the will of God. Well, that's a hard one to really get our heads around, maybe sometimes. It's the will of God. And I would suggest that it's speaking of two aspects of Peter's teaching here. One is that it is the will of God to submit, surrender, and yield as citizens in an ordinance and rule and, 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 and government that is recognizing the sovereignty of God and the control of God over all appointed authority. But also, for this is the will of God, that as we conduct ourselves as Christians, 
in what he has already uh, explained to us through the word of God and through fellowship and through witnessing and holy conduct, then we can notice that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The silence is these accusations and uh, all of these things that were coming against the Christians is that uh, it's kind of like that old saying, our actions speak louder than words. And when we live our lives that are consistent with God's word and holy conduct and the character of Christ, then it speaks so much more clearly to other people. For this is the will of God. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Here's one verse, very specifically, to surrender and submit to ruling authority and to live our lives in a way that is reflective of Christ because we're going to see how Christ was even committed to uh, the will of the Father, but also committed to the authorities. Do you remember that the Jews handed Jesus over to Pilate to be prosecuted? And then Pilate handed Jesus over to be executed, but Jesus handed himself over to God in submission to the Lord. And that's a great example for us. This is the will of God to silence the foolishness. Notice verse 16. However, don't use the liberty that we have as an excuse to be irresponsible in our obligations as citizens under ruling authority. As free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak or vice, but as bondservants of God. I think that word is very important word, bondservants. It's a free will slave, which actually connects into the next verses, speaking of servants be submissive to masters, which for our context is the idea of superiors or managers or, or overseers in our lives in, in, in work and, and in authority. But the idea also is, is, as Paul says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us as followers of Jesus um, are submitting to and surrendering and yielding to the will and the purpose of God as servants to him. Jesus is that ultimate example. Notice he gives a summary statement in verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Sounds like a political platform right there. I don't know. Uh, but that's great. Honor all people. Why? Because people are the image bearers of Jesus Christ and of God. Honor people. Uh, because you don't know what's going on in people's lives. This is kind of like those very simple things that we teach our kids when they're young. Say, yes, thank you, please, uh, these sort of things. Just honor and, and respect and, and dignity and, and, and kindness uh, and recognition of the authority. So just a couple of takeaways here from this first few verses. That Christians are called, we're already told, it's the will of God to submit to governing authorities. Why? Because civil authorities are instituted by God to maintain social order, as even uh, Paul describes in, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 13. So the point here is that you and I, by submitting to uh, governing authorities, can avoid condemnation from the world, but also can attain commendation from God. Because uh, we are... Uh, following those rules and regulations, but also doing it in a way for the Lord's sake to please and honor him. And then we're told also that uh, by doing this, we can silence those who would bring accusation against us. Our liberty and freedom in Jesus is never an excuse for irresponsibility in life. And oftentimes, 
uh, rebellious conduct by a Christian brings dishonor to Christ. So we can honor the Lord in our relationships, our public interactions, in submitting to the authorities instituted by God. Secondly, he gives us uh, uh, another application of submission when it comes to work and superiors in our lives. Notice in verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. Does anyone have a harsh supervisor or manager in your life right now? Oh, I see you stickering a little bit. I maybe, oh, hands are straight up. <laughs> We're like, yes, amen, they're speaking to me. Did, you, did he talk to you this week? No. Um, you might have experienced that. I don't know when I was in the Navy, uh, I had a, a couple of officers that for some reason just didn't like me. And there were some words and uh, names that were used to call, call me and to put me down. And it was hard. It was difficult. I didn't know how to respond. I wanted to, I wanted to fight back and, you know, I wanted to defend myself. Um, but Peter here is saying that there's another way. That sometimes if you have a harsh person who is in authority in your life, then we can follow Jesus' example, verse 19, for this is commendable if, because of conscience towards God, meaning as a believer and your convictions upon the Bible and as the way that you conduct yourself, you're not laughing at those jokes, you're not going to those places, you're not looking at those things. Oh, you're weird. Oh, you're a Jesus freak. Oh, they called me a reverend when I was in the Navy, and I wasn't even a pastor then. I guess it was a little prophetic. I'm not sure, but uh, it, was a, it was a derogatory term, and this was happening for the Christians at this time. They, they were being called all these dirty names. The word actually is reviled, and... Um, and this word revile means to pile up abusive accusations against you. And maybe that's happening. Maybe people are just piling it on. And uh, Peter says, if that's the case, it is commendable if you have a conscience towards God and that you endure these griefs suffering wrongly. For what credit is, is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer... Uh, and you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So there's a, a long-suffering, and there's a patience, and there's an endurance under the harsh treatment that you are experiencing in your workplace or superiors and authority over you because of being a Christ follower. Look at verse 21. For to this you were called. This is the second time that we're told about the will of God or being called to this type of submissive yielding in our lives because why Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps everyone say example I love this word it's it actually means um uh it means to write under literal definition it means to write under or to trace or to follow. So if you were to take a picture and you put it under a piece of paper and there's a little bit of transparency and you can see the, the image or the pattern or the picture underneath and then you just begin to trace that. That's the idea here. It's tracing the example that Jesus has already given us as a way to endure hardship and trial and difficulty in the submission and the will of the Lord. And submission in these aspects not only deals with submitting our own will or yielding our will, but it also means yielding our heart. And that probably is often the more difficult thing because we can say, okay, fine, that's it. I'll do it, but 
but our heart is not submitted. Our heart is not yielded. We still have anger and resentment and bitterness in our heart. And Jesus didn't yield that way. Jesus didn't say, okay, I'll go to the cross, fine, you know. And, uh, or the opposite, where he said, I'll go to the cross, that's great. And then secretly in his own heart, they, these evil people, why do I have to do this, God? You know how wretched these folks are. That's not Jesus' attitude. His heart was always love and compassion and grace and full surrender. So submission and surrender in all these different aspects, both public and private, have to do not only with bending and yielding our will, meaning our actions, but also our heart to the Lord. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered this example as a pattern to trace our lives after, that you should follow his steps who committed no sin. Jesus was sinless, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't retaliate. He didn't fight back. He didn't defend himself when he was asked by Pilate and Felix and those other governors when he went before them, nor when he was reviled, all these accusations piling up against him, he did not return this vile when he suffered. He did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges rightly. And this is the secret to Jesus' success in surrendering to the will of God. This word committed means to hand over. I think I already mentioned how he was handed over so many times to accusation and to beating and to crucifixion. But Jesus determined to hand himself over into the care and to the will and to the sovereignty of God. And that is where we can land in some of these aspects when it comes to our civil responsibilities, when it comes to our work responsibilities, and then when it comes to our marriage responsibilities as well. And so he says, he committed himself to him who judges rightly. Why? Verse 24, star, circle, underline this verse in the, in, in the person's Bible sitting behind you. Just turn around right now and circle it in their Bible so that they can remember it and then you can be a new friend. But you, we can all remember this really is the picture of the gospel. Who himself, Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Now the tree is a reference to the wooden cross that Jesus was nailed to. And the Bible says in the Old Testament that anyone who is crucified on a cross is cursed. You realize that Jesus was cursed? For us, he became a curse. We were cursed because of the fall in the Garden of Eden. And that curse passed through the bloodline of every single one of us. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what this picture of the gospel is. He bore our sins. So this is the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross to forgive us and to reconcile us in right relationship with him. And this is the picture of his example. His example is to lay his life down for us. In his own body on the tree that we having died to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes you and I are healed. The word stripes is a reference to his beating, to his whipping. The Bible says that after Jesus endured the, the, the beatings um, prior to his crucifixion and the pulling out of his beard and 
big uh, chunks of flesh came out with that beard and how they put a crown of thorns and buried it into his head so that the blood ran down and as, as the, how they put a bag over his head and they beat him and said, if you're the, who you say you are, prophesy who it was. They're mocking him and piling up all of these vile accusations against the Son of God. It says, Scripture says that we couldn't even, we couldn't even uh, see him anymore. It was like he wasn't even a, a person because of the beatings and the sacrifice. And that is what it took, brothers and sisters. That is what it took, friends, in order to forgive us and to cleanse us. By his stripes, you and I are healed. We're washed. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. We're adopted into the family of God. We're reconciled into right relationship with him. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're made a special people now because of the suffering of Jesus on the cross and by his stripes. We're a royal priesthood and a holy nation because of what Jesus has done for us. By his stripes, you and I are healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. A couple of things uh, to take away. I think I've mentioned most of them, but just in the sense of Christians are called to a commendable conduct in our career and our work with the authority that is placed over us. That you and I, in our honorable conduct, remember the context of what Peter is saying, the way that you and I respond to unfair treatment says a lot about our faith and trust in a, in a loving and faithful God. The way that we respond, and oftentimes it's in our actions, not in our words. Now, if you're anything like me, unfortunately, you respond in your words first, and that has often gotten me in a lot of trouble. I wish I could take back a lot of things that I've said and delete some of the emails or things that I've uh, sent out, and that's because, you know, the Bible says that um, our words have the power to life as well as to death. And our words can build other people up or they can tear other people down. And we're told that we should guard our heart because out of our heart flow the issues of life and out of the heart, uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what, is, what you're filling your heart with often is an indication of what our mouths are speaking of. And if we find ourselves with retaliation and with confrontation and with fighting and with defense and all these sort of things, then oftentimes we haven't washed our hearts with the word of God. We haven't allowed our lives to be corrected and renewed because of his truth. And the way that you and I respond to this unfair treatment has the ability, one, to silence the foolish and ignorant accusations that are coming against us. Two, it has the opportunity to model Jesus Christ to other people because some people will never read a Bible, but they may read your life. They, never, they may never read a Bible, pick it up. But your life, my life, can be the scriptures upon which people read about this good, great, and compassionate God, about a Jesus Christ who laid their life down for them, about a God who wants a relationship with them. Secondly, is that it is commendable to God. It's beautiful in his sight. The favor with God is often found when we are faithful in the work and in the relationships that we have with one another. And Jesus really is this pattern to follow in suffering with perfect patience. Friends, I'm not saying that it's easy. But with Jesus at the helm and the pattern upon which to inscribe our lives and to just trace and follow his example is one 
in which we are called to and which is God's will. Now, we see this in the public sector with, uh, you know, government authority and our civic duty, but also in our work. Now we're going to look at uh, the private areas, the uh, relationships that we have in marriage as well as in, as in church. So um, Peter continues on uh, in verse 1 of chapter 3. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Remember, this is in context with what he's saying. I love the word likewise because here we have a reference to the submission that has already been talked about. There is a submission of authority and the design that God has placed in marriage with the husband being the head. Now, it's interesting. I think submission is, in our culture and in our world, has gotten a bad reputation in the sense that um, some people think that submission is inequality or has lesser value, but that's actually far from and the complete opposite of the, bi- the biblical teaching of submission. That submission of wives to their own husbands as presented here uh, does not mean inferior. It does not eliminate equality, dignity, or honor. In fact, uh, the Bible says from creation that we are just created differently and uniquely but have the same value and dignity because we bear the image of God, whether it is in male or as in female. But Peter is speaking of the marriage relationship here, being submissive to your own husbands. So it's in the context of the marriage relationship, not uh, to men in general, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. I think this is interesting that Peter brings this up because if you remember the two previous examples of submission to authority, it tells us that when we live in the, in the pattern of Jesus, then we um, can silence the accusations that are coming against us, but, um, but we can also endure patiently as Jesus. Now we see that the godly conduct of a woman who is God-fearing and loving the Lord has such great influence and impact in her husband who does not follow Jesus. So without a word, notice he says here, obey the word, excuse me, those husbands who are not following Jesus, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Oftentimes we want to change people by our words. We want to use our words to influence people and sometimes it's good to have those, you know, uh, conversations, of course, we need to speak. Uh, but Peter is saying there's something much more valuable and much more powerful than our words and than changing people. It has to do with our conduct and the way that we live before the Lord. And so he says here, and he gives us a couple examples of that. One is, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And this is a continuation of the godly conduct that Peter has already described and laid a foundation for us as Christ's followers. And do not, verse 3, let your adornment be merely outwardly, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on of fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. Everyone say beauty. So we're speaking of 
the uh, character and the nature of the wife and of women, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. And then verses 5 and 6 give us an example. Every single um, a teaching or not argument that he's presenting is provided with an example. And so we're told a couple of things here. One is um, the sense of a godly woman's evangelistic tool in her life to be able to represent Jesus and win. The, 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 the word here is that you can be effective and successful in drawing your unbelieving husband to the Lord as you continue to seek him and you live your life before him. And before the Lord, that a, a woman's godly conduct is the greatest evangelistic asset and tool that you have uh, in your relationship with your husband. And then secondly, he talks about uh, true beauty. Now, this is kind of hits home for me for a father of three high school girls. So just welcome to my world right now. Right? I was trying to think about how do I teach this in the context of just personally, and I think a father of three teenage high school girls, boom, that's perfect right there. Because the world tells you that, you know, this shows you and there's all this social media and all the print material and everything that's going on out there, what true beauty or what beauty looks like, what's, what is desirable. And I'm grateful to have a wife that uh, is in our home that faithfully models modesty for our kids. Number one, that's a huge, um, that's a huge um, blessing for our, our daughters as well as uh, for our family. And that just goes to show that, you know, whether husband or wife, that our, our, our kids are picking up on the examples that we are, are giving them, even subtle examples. Sometimes we don't even think about them. And so modesty is uh, a part of this conversation. So I'm trying to also, as a father, to figure out how to encourage and teach my daughters that beauty True beauty does not come from outward clothing and cosmetics, but it comes from inward character and Christ-likeness. And that really is kind of the takeaway for these verses, but it's a little bit harder to get that down into our heart. Now, Peter says, do not let your appearance outwardly be, be merely of the adorning. So it's okay, Peter says. Don't throw it all out. It's okay to take care of yourself. It's, it's okay to comb your hair, brush your teeth, get some clothes. But the idea is not to have our, our identity in these things and not to have our worth. And so these things out in the media and out in our culture says you have to look this way in order to be beautiful. And you have to... Uh, look this way in order to be desirable it's basically sensualized and sexualized the outward appearance of women and the bible says that there's something far deeper far more valuable because peter says that there is an incorruptible beauty so if you've been around the block for a couple of decades you know that that outward appearance is going to start to sag it's going to start to change it's going to start to thin that is an incorruptible beauty so hang on to it as long as you can uh, that's a good thing that's all right take care of that we should take care of our physical bodies but we should also, more importantly, invest in our, our spiritual, incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. We read those verses, oh, well, okay, great, sure, we're saying I got to be quiet. That's not what's being said here. The word gentle, excuse, uh, yes, the word gentle means uh, meek, uh, meekness and humility. And the word a quiet spirit does not mean that we are quiet with our words, but we are loud with our actions, 
That means that the actions that we have in our lives as godly women speak so profoundly because our identity and our worth and our value is in what Jesus has said you and I are. It's in his image. And every single one of us bear the image of of Jesus. You remember even Jesus was asked about the civil responsibilities that he should have. Some of his uh, followers came and said, should I pay taxes? And Jesus very wisely said, well, why don't you bring me a coin? And he inspected the coin and he saw that there was an image on the coin. And he said, okay, well, whose image is on this coin? And everyone in the crowd said, Caesar's image. And Jesus said, well, give or render, submit to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then he went on to say, and surrender and submit and yield to God what is God. So if a coin has the image of Caesar, which belongs to him, okay, I'm going to do my civic duty. I'm going to pay my taxes. Do you realize that you have the image of God on your soul, on your life? So what Jesus is saying, as an image bearer of God, Give your life to him. Your life belongs to him. Surrender and submit to him. And this beauty that is incorruptible, it does not fade away, and it is precious and beautiful in in Jesus' sight. Now, not only does he have encouragement for uh, the wives, but he also has for the husbands. In verse 7, he says, husbands likewise. Notice the word there, likewise. It's connecting the mutual submission that we have towards the Lord as well as towards one another. Dwell with your wives with understanding. I think that would solve a lot of challenges and problems, man, if uh, we would just take heed to this verse. To dwell with our wives in understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, that does not mean inferiority, or someone who is less valuable, important. It's basically just saying that we are physically different, that we have different mass muscle between male and female, maybe different heights and sizes and strength and ability. And so the husbands are called to show honor and support and protection as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Notice that the same inheritance, the same access is given to both husband and wife before the Lord, but there's different roles and responsibilities that the wives and the husbands are given. Now in Ephesians, Paul uh, speaks to the husbands as well and says the husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Once again, there's an example. Now, how did Christ love the church? He loved the church in a sanctifying way, meaning there was no other relationship more important. Secondly, he loved the church in a sacrificial way, laying down his life. And then thirdly, he loved the church in a serving way. So as husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, then we as husbands are called in a sanctifying way to place our marriage relationship with our wives as the single soul most important relationship above all. That's why Jesus and the Old Testament and the authors of the New Testament says, for this reason, a man shall leave and cleave. Leave his father and mother. There is a new identity being created in the marriage relationship. And maybe, husband, you need to leave the old and you need to cleave to the wife. There is a sanctifying relationship that takes place. Placing that relationship above all other relationships and creating a new oneness in the marriage relationship. But it also means to sacrifice, to lay down. 
And we think, well, I'm the head because that's the way that God designed it. But the head, in accordance with Jesus, laid down and became the foot. He became the one who would wash. He became the one who would serve. He became the one who would sacrifice. And so to surrender, as Peter is saying for the husbands, in submission to surrender our wants and our wills and our wishes for our wives in recognizing and understanding their needs, their fears, and their feelings. Now, if you're not married and you're single, then one, single men, just meditate and pray over verse 4 and over verse 3. Because that is the woman that you are praying for. That is the woman that you are looking for. And if you're single and you are wanting to get married as a woman, then this is the woman that you want to model your life after as well. But um, we can also see the responsibilities that were given as, as husbands to love, uh, to love our wives and to submit and yield our wills in support and encouragement to, uh, to our wives. And then we'll just finish with this and close with the final encouragement to the church. Finally, notice, wrapping all this thought up, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. I think this is so important because every single person that you encounter is going through some sort of battle, some sort of struggle, some sort of issue. And we just need a lot of compassion, a lot of grace, and a lot of mercy, and a lot of patience with one another. I think the church would really be a shining example if we just modeled these characteristics. If we were unified in heart, in compassion. I think a lot, of, a lot more broken people, a lot more shattered people, a lot more hurt people would feel comfortable in a church if the church was living this way. If we were just compassionate. Because I need compassion. And if we're called to be a blessing to other people, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't return evil for evil. Pray for those who mistreat you. As the scriptures go on to talk about, the best way that you and I can be a blessing is to remember the abundant blessings of God in our lives. If I need compassion, I need grace, I need mercy, well, God has given that to me, and freely you've received, freely give. To love one another, be tender-hearted. That means gentle with others. Kind of like the idea of, of holding a baby firmly yet gently. <laughs> you don't want to drop the baby, but you don't want to hurt the baby. And it's this gentleness and this grace and this compassion to be clothed in tenderheartedness in relationship with other people. Man, you know, you know you're, you're talking with a tender person. When, when, when they give you that type of grace in the relationship. Me speaking of the church, finally, all of you remember he's talking to Christians, talking to the church. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Well, I just want to defend myself. Unfortunately, the opposite can be true of churches where there's divisions and there's splits and people have these uh, lines drawn in the sand and they're fighting for different things. Oh, I want the pews to be this color and I want the pastor to preach this way and I want the worship to be like this. And that coffee, man, I'm out of here. That coffee is just not meeting my needs. And pastor, would you please, I need spiritual food. I'm not being fed here. Friend, if you are relying on your spiritual food 
based on my sermons in 45 minutes of the rest of your week, then you're missing out on what truly it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit falls. I hope and pray that as we open God's word, you're being spoken to and God's teaching you. And it might be something completely different what I'm thinking about, but it could be something right in line with what Jesus is thinking about in your life. Tenderhearted, compassion, not reviling. There can be wars and battles, worship wars and ministry wars and fighting. Unfortunately, that has plagued the church. I mean, in general, Big C Church for decades. Divisions and splits. I pray and hope that the Lord Jesus Christ would protect our church and clothe every single one of us with compassion, with love, with mercy, and with grace. Because when you get a bunch of broken people together, you are going to have conflict. There is going to be differences of opinions. We are diverse, however, as a body of Christ. We are unified and interdependent upon one another. And he uses a quote here. For to this you were called, third point, we were called to this. It is the will of God to this that you may inherit a blessing. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Guard our lips, guard our tongues from speaking deceit. Let him turn away, let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We're going to have our worship team come on up. Let me just close this with a couple of thoughts and uh, some takeaways here. The eyes of the Lord are on you. Do you realize just in the context of what we've already talked about, as you're trying to make your way through being a good citizen in San Diego County, following the rules, making sure you're paying your taxes, you're not breaking any permit issues, uh, oh, oh boy, I think I might have touched a nerve there, and I'm not sure. <laughs> I heard a little grumble there. <laughs> Other things, fill in the blank, following the rules, you realize that God's eyes are on you. He's watching you. He's leading you. There's another scripture that says, lead me with your eyes. So if, we're, if our eyes are on Jesus' eyes, then he's going to lead us and guide us. God is watching. He's also watching He's also watching you when you're at work and you got a really harsh supervisor, a manager that's just tearing into you. He's watching how you're biting your lip. He's watching how you're responding with grace. He's watching how your reaction is to the injustice. His eyes are watching you. Wife, his eyes are watching you when you're really struggling and you don't know how to reach your husband. His eye is watching you and strengthening you and helping you when you're ministering to him through the way that you live. His his eye is is watching you in the church as you go about and there's a little bit of friction and you got a little disagreement with somebody and, you know, there's some tension there. His eye is watching to bring healing and reconciliation, but he's also hearing our prayers. Oh, God, help me. Help me honor you and bless you and minister to you. So... With that, let's submit. Submit to the Lord, following his pattern in our public and private lives. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Maybe we can just do a shortened version of like a a chorus here just to kind of tie this all together. But we love you. We thank you, God. Help us, Lord, in these relationship issues and challenges 
Thank you for the model and example of Christ. I pray for anyone here right now who is being unfairly treated. Lord, help them. Help them to respond with your love. I pray for marriages today. I pray, Lord, that you would heal, that you would reconcile, that you would mend. You'd help husbands and wives to submit to you, to submit to one another, to love, honor, and respect one another. I pray for um, any women in here who is really struggling with your image, your outward image, and you feel like you're not desirable, you feel like you're not pretty, you feel like you're not beautiful, I want to encourage you that Jesus sees you, he's created you just the way you are, and has made you so unique and perfectly beautiful in his eyes, and that, that his opinion matters most. And may that just wash over you so that you don't have to try to be something that you're not, but that your beauty can come from who you are in Christ. God and I pray that you would bless our church and you'd help us be unified and you'd help us be clothed with this type of compassion. And Lord, if there is any conflict or friction in a, relation, in a, church, in a church relationship, Lord, I pray that you would bring peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. You'd bring peace and you'd bring healing and reconciliation. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.